A growing number of people are experiencing challenges with mental health, struggling with anxiety, depression, and trauma. How do we get rid of the stigma, too, that's often associated with these struggles and provide help and healthful support? And we're talking about it this morning with Paul Dougherty. Paul is pastor and has written about his experience in his book, Mind Games, Winning the Battle for Your Mental and Emotional Health. And good morning, Paul. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Paul. Appreciate it. So you have personal experience in this area, which is, I think, where this book came from. Can you kind of give us some insight into your story a bit? Yeah, totally. So I grew up as a pastor's kid in Tulsa, Oklahoma. By the time I was born, my parents had been pastoring our church for about eight years, and it had grown into this massive ministry, a school, a college, a camp, a dream center, and 400 employees and 10,000 people every week. It was huge. Mm. And then he was always preaching faith. He was my hero. He was like, you know, just a great visionary. But he got sick when I was 23 years old and suddenly passed away from lymphoma cancer. Mm. And it really shook our whole church. Um, You know, at that time, I just started working the year before he passed on staff. When you're a pastor's kid, you're free labor. So I was free labor my whole life. And then finally got a part-time intern, you know, position working in the college. And, and I was looking forward to building the church with my dad. And then when that happened, our church just started losing people by the hundreds and then thousands. And then our, our finances just started tanking. And I was a young leader. The board told me that my dad one day saw me being the future pastor, and I didn't know that. I could I could see that that dream inside me one day to pastor our church, but I didn't realize that that was something he saw. And I remember just battling just feelings of deep depression, discouragement. Um, I didn't want to get out of bed. Our, you know, as our church was losing thousands of people, we had to lay off 120 employees over a, a matter of two years, and I was... I was having to sit across the desk with people who raised mm. me and say, we can't afford to keep you here. Mm. And and in the midst of all of that turmoil and pain, oftentimes I would come up to the church when no one was here. And my dad built this beautiful, you know, sanctuary auditorium that seated 5,000 people. But we were, we were not even getting close to filling the room up. And so it was very discouraging, intimidating. And I would come up to the church when no one was here just to pray and cry and like, just, you know, express my emotions. I'm kind of mm-hmm. like that, you know, David personality in the Bible. I was like, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And um, I just remember thinking we were going to have to sell off our school and we were going to have to shut down our dream center that serves the poor because we couldn't afford to keep, you know, employing people that were serving out there in the soup kitchen and all that stuff. Yeah. And in the midst of all that, I was young. I was in my mid-20s. My wife and I had just gotten married and I was tasked with stepping in to start leading the church. And um, one night I found myself on a bridge looking over this overpass of cars and semi-trucks driving. And I just thought, maybe life's not worth living. Maybe, honestly, maybe it's better off that I'm gone Mm. for my sake and other people's sake. And I was believing this lie of depression, this lie of hopelessness, that things weren't going to get better that there was no light at the end of the tunnel, that my best days were behind me, that God was finished with me, God was finished with our church. And it was just very um, negative, dark thinking. And I remember during that time, as I was standing on that overpass, it was about 11.30 p.m., 
I remember thinking if I jump right now, it's not, it's not high enough to, to die, but maybe if I timed it right, uh, with these cars driving, I was very morbid in my thoughts. And then I thought, who can I call? What pastor has talked about depression and suicidal thoughts and what pastor has written about this that I could go and read a book. And honestly, I didn't know where to look. And that was back in 2012. And I, I remember during that time hearing like people secretly battling depression, but nobody wanted to talk about it. It was like, Oh, we don't talk about mental health in the church. We don't talk about suicidal thoughts. And, and I remember just feeling very lonely, isolated in this. And that's what the enemy wants, right? The devil wants us to be all alone in those thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was standing there, it was almost like a raindrop hit the top of my head from heaven. The Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And it was almost like my dad was peering through a window in heaven, reminding me who I am. And I could almost see him standing next to the great saints who've gone on ahead of us. And standing next to, you know, David and Gideon and Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the whole cloud of witnesses, and saying, Paul, don't give up, don't throw in the towel, life is worth living, life is worth living. And a scripture came to my mind, you know, the Bible says, train a child up in the way he should go, and he will not depart from it as he gets older. And it was like God was bringing me back to these scriptures my parents taught me as a kid, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Mm. And I pointed in the darkness. I could almost feel like these demonic voices laughing at me, not audibly, but in my head. And I think that is something we need to to address, is that depression does have a demonic, spiritual, tormenting presence that follows people when they're walking through those feelings and, and seasons, and for some people can last years, of hopelessness, depression, suicidal thoughts, that this is not just a mental thing. This is a spiritual thing. And I pointed in the darkness as if I could see the devil laughing at me. And I just said, Satan, I rebuke you. I choose to live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I choose to live. I choose to get out of this basement of depression that my mind has gone into. And I'm going to, I'm going to live and I'm going to declare that God is not finished with our church. God is not finished with my family. God is not finished with my future. And my best days are not behind me. They're right in front of me. Now, I didn't fully see that. I I absolutely didn't see that in the natural. Things were getting worse in my life and in the church. But I began to talk myself into victory. And that's the name of our church. I began to talk myself spiritually into a mindset of victory. And what I talk about in the book is that God gives us, obviously, amazing resources through counseling and through medication and through accountability and and all the therapy that goes with dealing with childhood trauma. But God also gives us His Word, and He gives us the power of worship. He gives us the power of meditating on the Word of God, speaking the Word of God, and then discovering, how do I start believing that on the inside? For me, it was about an eight-month process of walking completely out of that depression, during 2012, 2013, and since then, never going back. But when I started writing this book about nine years ago, I didn't realize God had so much more he wanted me to write on these topics, because around 2018, I don't know if you remember this, but there were a few pastors that made national and international news that took their lives because of depression, and it was all over the news and the media. And I realized this topic needs to be brought to the forefront of churches, and it needs to be 
we need to talk about this in the right way, but we also need to let people know that God's Word does not shy away from depression, and God's Word does not shy away from suicidal thoughts or feelings of panic attacks and anxiety. It's all throughout Scripture, and there are antidotes that God gives us to see the victory and to truly walk in victory. And especially after COVID, it, it just kind of sent everyone into a mental and emotional disorder. Uh, it sent everyone into a place of uh, anxiety and, you know, when's the next lockdown and what's this virus going to do? And are any of my family members contacted with coronavirus? And during 2020 and the riots on the streets, it sent our whole world into, honestly, a trauma. And my book really deals with how do we go into our thoughts and our emotions scripturally, spiritually, but also from a place of psychologically and and begin to untangle the webs that the, the devil tries to set up in our minds and begin to see the victory. And so I tell my personal testimony, and then I share the testimony of several others, and it's very humorous throughout the book. It's not dark, it's not sad, but it also does address serious issues that are happening in people in the church, and um, that God has a, a blueprint for victory for Christians and for all people to see victory over depression, victory over any mental and emotional pain that people are facing. Yeah. So let's look into that a bit. You have some habits to fight depression, anxiety, and emotional trauma. What are some of those habits that we can put into our life? Yeah, totally. So one of the biggest things for me came when I began to open up and talk about what I was going through with someone who cared for me. And so I talk about in the book how so often we don't know who to talk to and we don't know where to go. And um, when my right before my dad passed, he gave me this key and he said, hey, here's a key to your office. Um, and I said, Dad, I was a janitor at the university across the street, Oral Roberts University here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And as a janitor, I had 25 keys. I used to wear all these keys on my you know, on my like waist. And he was laughing. He was like, Paul, here, you only get one key. And I was like, I'm your own flesh and blood. Well, when he passed away, I always felt locked out of all these doors. Uh, And I would always call a janitor or security guard to come and unlock the door. And they would say, why didn't your dad give you the keys? And I would say, exactly. Why didn't he give me the keys? And I remember thinking spiritually, I don't have the keys to victory. I don't have the keys to overcoming depression. I don't have the keys to growing this church. I don't have the keys to wear the shoes that my dad had. I mean, he was so much more, you know, powerful as a pastor and speaker, and he memorized everybody's names, and he was just gifted in his personality. And I remember thinking, God, you didn't give me the keys, and it's not fair. You didn't give every Christian the keys. And I would say that. I would say only some people have the keys to really have the best life ever, to really walk in victory, to really be mentally emotionally sound. Like the rest of us, we're all, we're all struggling here. And I remember thinking I didn't have the keys. Well, one night, a few years after my dad had passed, I was outside the church and I called a janitor. It was a Thursday night, 10 p.m., empty in there. And I said, hey, I just want to get in and go play piano and just worship and pray. And he said, Paul, I'm locking up buildings on the other side of town at the Dream Center. It's going to be a while before I can get back to South Tulsa and help you at least an hour. So I sat there, and then I thought, okay, I'm going to try to break into our building. So I start pounding the door, and I'm hurting my fist. And it's like that scripture, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Physically, I was tired. I was weak. I couldn't get in. 
Then I started trying to shimmy my credit card between the cracks of the door, trying to unlock the doors, and I couldn't get in. And I thought, okay, I'm going to take this little key my dad gave me four years ago, and I'm going to shove it in the door, and then I'm going to yank that door and pull it open. Well, when I put that little key in, it fit perfectly. And, and I thought to myself, that's interesting. And then I turned the key and it unlocked the door. And I thought, oh, my goodness, did God just transform my key? And then I thought to myself, I guess I've never tried this. And I started walking to the other doors, and I stuck the key in each door, and it unlocked each door. And that night I sat on the stage in this empty auditorium, and I started crying. I said, Dad, this whole time I've had the master key to victory, and I didn't know I had it. And then I looked up to God in heaven, and I just said, God, if you can hear me, I now know that I have the key. I have the master key to victory. You've given it me. And I stuck that key in my Bible, and I said, not just me, but every believer has the master key to victory. It starts here. And as I started studying the Word of God, I started seeing that God gives us these steps, these habits to begin seeing the victory. And one of those steps is to open up and talk to somebody to pull somebody into your battle, to not do it alone, that God gives us friends. He gives us brothers and sisters, iron sharpening iron. And then God gives us things like practical things, outside rest, outside recreation, getting outside of your house, being out in creation. When Elijah was going through his suicidal thoughts and he was running from Jezebel, God doesn't leave him or abandon him or say, hey, you're done, your faith is broken. God pursues Elijah into the wilderness, meets him in that cave, and still gives him ministry assignments in the middle of his depression and suicidal thoughts. And one of the things God does is he brings him into an outside wilderness escape, almost like a sabbatical, where he says, I need you to get outside and get alone with me and find who you really are apart from all the ministry stuff. So I talk about in the book about the importance of taking a break from our phones, the importance of pulling away from work, taking rest, the importance of getting outside, the importance of pulling someone into the battle, not doing it alone, and some of those little practical tools that actually lead to a huge impact in our mind and heart. Mm -hmm. That's really good. good. So, Paul, before we let you go, would you pray for those this morning that are struggling with a, a mental battle or a spiritual battle this morning and I just pray for them to be able to find that key that you're talking about. Yes. Lord, I just pray for every person right now that's listening on this amazing radio ministry. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just encourage them that they have the master key to victory. They can win the mind games that the enemy keeps playing in their head. Lord, I pray that you would just bring them into a just a new season of being free free from anxiety, from panic attacks, from worry, from stress, from chronic fear. Lord, I pray that anyone who's struggling with depression or hopelessness or feelings of just being stuck mentally, I pray that this would be a year, 2024, would be a year that they begin to unlock the doors to victory in their life. And I thank you, God, that you're going to give them victory over every mind game. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Talking with Paul Dougherty. The book is Mind Games, Winning the Battle for Your Mental and Emotional Health. And Paul, thank you so much for sharing with us Mm. and encouraging us this morning in this first week or so of 2024. Absolutely. Honored. Thank you so much for having me. Love you guys. 